to all of America's veterans, someone is always listening. You are never alone, and you are never forgotten. Hello, welcome to Voices of America's Veterans. This is Joey Verhalen, your host, and with me I have a very special guest this week, one of my favorite people, Derek. Derek, why don't you go ahead and say hello for me, please, sir. Hey, what's going on, man? All right. Again, this is again this is Voices of America's Veterans, the podcast where I do my best to push the talking cure. We're trying to address the veteran suicide rate. Um, too many of our of our nation's heroes are committing suicide, and nobody's talking about it. So, until that happens, until we can get that number to zero, I'm doing my best to to talk to people, to push this out, to let everybody know that someone is always listening. You know, so feel free to talk it out, you know, get in touch with me, get in touch with somebody. But uh, for now, uh, I'm going to hand it over to Derek. Derek, why don't you do a quick uh, introduction for us, sir? Sure. Uh, so I'm Derek. Uh, I also host a uh, veteran podcast, Once Upon a Boot. Uh, you know, I did uh, six years in the Navy. Uh, I'm currently, you know, working as an engineer, father, husband, and then, uh, you know, I'm somebody that struggles with, you know, mental health stuff myself. So, okay. so one of the things that, well, the other thing I try to push here on the show is uh, veterans have the best stories that you're never going to hear. So I'm trying to share as many stories that I possibly can told in these veterans own voices. So at this point, I'm just going to hand it over to Derek and I'm going to let Derek talk. Derek, uh, you mentioned just a moment ago that you have. You, you've had a history of struggling with mental health. Is there anything you'd care to share with us about that or? Sure. Sure. So, you know, aside from the, you know, Navy military stuff, you know, there's some childhood type trauma that, you know, I'm just now kind of realizing and dealing with, but specifically with, you know, the military. So when I got to my first ship in the Navy, um, so I was on a destroyer, you know, the ship I was on in particular was pretty toxic of a command. And, you know, when the CO is toxic and then the XO is toxic, it, it kind of trickles down, you know. And um, what happened is when I first got to the ship, you know, my wife was pregnant with our first son and she was about ready to pop. She was like nine months pregnant. I just get to the first ship. Um, and my wife was being induced for labor. So we knew, you know, the due date, we knew like, Hey, on this day, she's being induced. So the baby's going to be born, you know, either that day or the next. Um, and the very first interaction I had with the command was they told me, you know, I reported there and a week later, my son was to be born and I mentioned it and they said, so you're already you know, reporting to the ship and you're already putting your needs ahead of the mission of the ships. And I was like, I mean, it's my, you know, my first kid's about to be born. I kind of, you know, thought that was a big deal. Um, so they gave me a hard time about that. And, you know, the same day that my son was born, my grandfather also passed. So I had to end up flying back home for a funeral. And again, they gave me a hard time. They didn't believe me. They thought I was making it up. Um, you know, they, they made this big deal and that was kind of the first, I guess, glimpse into kind of what life was going to be like on that ship. Um, and things kind of went downhill from there. You know, the CO that we had, um, 
you know, he would send people to the brig. He would send people to captain's mast. He would put them on like bread and water punishment, like pretty like archaic type shit. And um, it was a tense place to work. Um, we actually had multiple suicides while I was on the ship from sailors that were on the ship. Um, we also had an active shooter situation that was, uh, you know, pretty well documented on the news while we were in port Naval Station Norfolk, which, you know, completely changed, uh, you know, everything on the ship. If it was strict before, it became like 10 times more so after that. Um, and, you know, basically what happened is there was a particular person in my chain of command who, you know, I'm not going to give them the benefit of mentioning them, but basically they were, you know, abusive to, you know, myself and a couple other people on the ship, both physically and mentally. Um, so between, you know, getting overworked, I was on a destroyer that was getting ready to surge deploy. So you know, we came, the ship came back from a deployment when I reported to the ship. And then less than a year later, they were getting ready to deploy again, which is not typical uh, for a destroyer. You know, usually you come back from a deployment and then there's like a two, three year span before the ship deploys again. Yeah. So, well, let, yeah, let me just interrupt real quick. You know, sure. when you say deployment, I mean, you're talking prolonged period at sea, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, normally there's workups where you're out for a week or so, and then you're back, and then you're out for a couple of weeks, and then you're back. There's there's no sustained absence during the normally between those couple of years. Exactly. Okay. And so and th and this was, and you know, and as you know, when you get ready for a deployment, there's qualifications the ship has to get. You know, there's inspections you have to go through. You know, you have to verify. You know that you have sailors qualified to stand watch. You have to you know, do all of these things and you have, you know, <clears throat> this long schedule to kind of do this. Well, you know, now we had all of that that had to be done in less than a year. So our work schedule was crazy during that time. You know, we were out getting qualifications, you know, three weeks at a time home for a few days or, you know, two weeks at a time, maybe home for a week. So, you know, I have my wife who's at home with a newborn. I've got, you know, pretty much by herself, I've got me who's at this crazy work schedule, you know, all while also under this, you know, abusive command, this toxic command, we've got, you know, people getting shot and killed on our ship from an active shooter. There's people actively committing suicide on the ship there. You know, it's just like a crazy place. Right. And, you know, I was also my particular rate. I was a fire controlman in the Navy. Um, and on a destroyer, I was an Aegis display tech and I was the only Aegis display tech on the ship, which technically there's like two or three of us. So I'm doing the work of, you know, two to three people by myself. I'm brand new to a ship. Um, you know, I was only an E4 at the time. So I'm doing all of this stuff. And basically, you know, my relationship at home with my wife and my newborn was, non-existent it, it it also you know it just wasn't good i wasn't in a good place because of everything at work i can't really talk to my wife because she doesn't you know understand um and the ship and, is just you know it's just a bad place right and i mean just and just to kind of hammer it home i guess you'd say you know and she just to be clear you know she just had a baby so you know, understandably, you know, she probably doesn't want to hear you come home and talk about, oh, I had such a rough day at work. <laughs> exactly. Because okay. she's home all day by herself. 
and not for nothing, but you know, she had her bachelor's degree, you know, she was a dental hygienist. She couldn't work yet. She couldn't find work. And then also we had a new baby, you know, so she's also frustrated because, you know, she wants to do her career as well, you know? So it was like, everything got put on hold for her, you know, now to be a, a mother and, you know, inadvertently she's being a stay at home mom. And then, you know, I'm not home at all. And then when I am home, you know, no fault to her, but like, you know, I was just fucking miserable because of everything at work. Right. And, you know, you kind of feel a little lost. So when it came time to deploy, you know, things were so bad at home. You know, when I left for deployment, to be honest, I was nervous that when I got back that my wife wasn't going to be there. I was, you know, I was just, you know, terrified. And, you know, we're on deployment and it was a fifth fleet deployment. So, you know, we're over, you know, in the Gulf, um, you know, and, and things were, you know, a little tense at the time. This was probably 20, I want to say the deployment was either 2013 or 2014. It's probably, I think it was the summer of 2014 that we went over there. Um, you know, so things weren't great and, you know, I'm overworked. I'm the only one, like I said, like the chain of command is abusive. We had our, our weapons officer got relieved of his duties while we were in the middle East because the captain lost faith in him. So it's like, okay, we're in the middle of the Persian Gulf. We have no weapons officer, you know, all of this stuff's going bad. We have sailors that are getting flown off the ship uh, cause they're, you know, like mental health issues. And it's like, this is not, you know, the way things are supposed to be. Um, and it was actually, you know, at that point, like I said, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on with my wife back home. She ended up moving back home to Boston during this time with my son. Um, you know, I just, I felt lost. I, I didn't know what was going on. And, um, you know, I actually tried to commit suicide on the ship. Um, thankfully, you know, I'm still here. Um, somebody helped me save me and basically what happened from that is the chain of command pretended like it never happened and i never got taken off the ship i never got help after that it was just okay back to work you're the only one you need to you know do this so uh you know i struggled with that i finished off the deployment you know thankfully you know my wife and my son were there but i never told them about it i never told anybody about it um it was pretty much the select few people on the ship knew and they just kind of, you know, swept it under the rug and kept going. And also on that deployment, what happened is I suffered a pretty bad shoulder injury and it got to the point where I couldn't even raise my arm to salute anymore. Like that's how bad my shoulder was. It needed to be repaired. So when I got back from deployment, I tried to get shoulder surgery. My CO denied it, which is, you know, it's funny in the military, like a medical professional can say, Hey, you need surgery. And the captain can say, no, we can't lose him on the ship. So it wasn't until we got replacements that I was actually, you know, able to go and get the surgery I needed. And at that point, um, I had actually suffered like nerve damage in my neck, which I'm still dealing with today. So the repair ended up being, you know, a lot more significant than it should have been. So I got the repair, you know, I'm all, you know, stitched up. And, you know, the doctor said, hey, you're going to need to take like an extensive time to heal from this. We recommend you, you know, 
uh, going on med hold, getting taken off the ship, being put on shore duty temporarily to heal, which, you know, to me, I was like, holy shit, like I'm finally leaving this place. Um, that was literally killing me, you know? Right. And, um, you know, I bring it back to my CEO and he denied that. Wow. And I was, he denied, he even denied my convalescent leave after my surgery. You just usually get like 30 days of convalescence leave after surgery. He denied that too. So wow. at that point we were in the yards after the deployment. So we're in dry dock. We're not going anywhere for years at this point. Cause we're in dry dock. It's the ship's like midlife. So it's like a year and a half long dry dock period. You know, I just have this big shoulder repair that, you know, the doctors say I need like an extensive recovery for. I have a suicide attempt that nobody's talking about. And the CO still is like denying me a chance to, you know, kind of heal and recuperate. And it was at that point where I was like, what the fuck do I got to do to like get out of this place? You know? And it was at that point, I remember this day, like so vividly, they put me back into a duty station or duty section, sorry, like right after my surgery. So like, I'm all drugged up. I can barely like walk on my own at this point because I'm so fucked up on the pain pills they gave me. I've got my arm in a sling. My shoulder just got repaired. I got nerve damage in my neck now. And they put me in a duty section. It's like, what am I, how, how do I stand watch? How do I do anything? You know? And that duty day I got in my car, which I probably shouldn't have been driving anyways. And I drove to the Naval hospital and I told them I ran out of, you know, pain pills, which I didn't. And my goal that night was just to take the whole bottle and kind of just like ended again. Like I was going to attempt it again. And I don't know why I didn't do it that day, <clears throat> but um, I, I, I didn't, I, I, and, and it, it's crazy how it works, but like the next day I come to work and they do, you know, when you're in the yards, they do a big time inspection uh, of medical, of everything, you know, to make sure everything's in working order. And one of the inspectors saw me kind of sitting in the corner, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my sling and I'm all drugged up. I'm kind of out of it. And he came up and talked to me. He's like, what, you know, what's your deal? And I kind of told him what was going on. And he's like, you need to go home. And I was like, well, I can't, my CEO's not going to let me and all this stuff. And he's like, no, you're going home right now. And the next day I got contacted by, you know, one of the bigger heads at Naval Station Norfolk. And he's like, yep, you're off the ship. And the CEO ended up getting relieved of his duties early. And it was like a big investigation. But, you know, if I had, you know, taken my life that night, you know, like the the very next day I got relief, essentially. You know, I I got put on shore duty. I healed up. I got sent to another ship which I can't say enough good things about. I I got sent to the USS Cole and, um, you know, I finished the rest of my first contract on that ship. And if I had been there as my first ship, I probably would have reenlisted. I probably would have stayed in. It was a completely different type of place. Um, I can't say enough good things about it, but, um, you know, I did another deployment there. And then when it came time that the contract was, uh, ending up, I was an E5 at the time. And because of the first ship, like there was just no way I was going to reenlist. Um, 
And, you know, I, I, I came time to get out. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but, you know, I applied to all like the defense contract companies and I figured I'd kind of do something in that realm. And I got picked up six months before I separated. They hired me. They're like, yeah, we'll hold your spot. So, you know, now I work as a engineer for a defense contractor and, you know, I was excited to get out, deal with all this stuff. And then when I got out, you know, I was so excited to get out. And then so quickly, I was just like super depressed and I was super lost. I didn't know what was going on because um, you lose that camaraderie. You lose that, you know, partnership with everybody that you have, all your friends right. and, you know, talking with everybody. And I didn't know what PTSD really was or anything like that. I thought PTSD was like, oh, you know, you went to Iraq and Afghanistan and you were in combat and now, you know, you're fucked up. I didn't know that you could get like PTSD from pretty much any type of trauma, you know. <clears throat> so it wasn't until I actually heard a, a separate podcast that they were talking about, you know, they're dealing with PTSD and they're listing the symptoms and they were like, you know, I was having these horrible fucking nightmares every night. I wasn't sleeping like for days on a time because the nightmares would be so bad. Like I just didn't want to sleep. And they're listing, you know, these nightmares and this irritability and this. And they're talking about all these things. And I was like, I have all of this. And I finally went to the VA and talked to somebody. And they were like, you have like serious PTSD, you have serious anxiety, you know, like really bad depression. And, you know, like I didn't know about it and, you know, dealing with the VA, I can say a lot of bad things about the VA, but you know, the counselors I've worked with, the psychiatrists, therapists, like they have been nothing but helpful for me, but you know, it, you know, we talked about this on my podcast, but like you feel so alone you feel like you can't reach out to anybody. And, you know, if I had felt like I could have talked to somebody then, you know, I might not be dealing with what I'm dealing with now. Right. So let me, let me circle back. To, well, actually, let me just say, you know, uh, just if nothing else, you know, as a fellow veteran, as a fellow human being, you know, I'm glad you're still here. I am glad to yeah. be talking to you right now. I'm glad that, you know, what you attempted didn't work. Yep. Me too. Uh, but, but now circling, circling back just a little bit. I, so you said, you know, you, you, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time because what you did, what, what you described to me, like it horrifies me Yeah. As, as again, as a human being, but as, as somebody who's been in the service, you know, I'd always heard about toxic commands. Um, you know, some of the ones I was at were better than the others, Yeah. but I was never at a, what I would view as a toxic command, but what you were at, what you described definitely, yeah, definitely a toxic environment. So it, you, if I'm understanding you right, the situation you described, you're at medical and an inspector. So somebody not part of the ship's crew, somebody correct, somebody outside of the command had to come in and say and see that what is happening to you is not right. You need help. And so somebody else that, you know, you're not seeing every day recognizes yeah. there's a problem and it helps and it helps you. Basically, yeah. I mean, I had reached out. The only people that I thought, you know, they kind of preach that if you ever have a problem, you can talk to like a chaplain. Right. Right. 
and I'm not, I'm not religious by any sense, but I still reached out to chaplains and, you know, they gave me, you know, some guidance, but I didn't know how honest I could be with them either. You know, you're, I was always scared that this would either, you know, affect my career, affect my security clearance, or somehow this would come back to bite me in the ass. So I never, you know, I never revealed too much, but I kind of, you know, asked their guidance. This was the first person outside of the command that was like, this is wrong. And then when they did this investigation, I wasn't the only person that was going through this, this captain. So, you know, in the Navy, when your captain finishes their tour, the executive officer be now becomes the CO. So when you have a CO that's bad and they're training the XO, you know, the cycle is just going to continue. Right. So, you know, it had been, you know, tons of sailors before me, other sailors on the ship. Basically, the CO, his wife was a nurse. And what he would do is he was providing our medical records to his wife for medical advice on how he should deal with sailors. Oh, my gosh. Which is like a major fucking violation, right? On so many levels. On so many levels. So there, I wasn't the only person that was being denied surgeries. I wasn't the only person that was being denied, you know, convalescence leave for medical issues there were people we used to call it uh fifth flooring yourself because the fifth floor of the naval hospital was the uh psych ward right so people would report to the fifth floor and say that they had you know mental you know instability and we looked at it on the ship like oh they're quitting they're trying to you know just get out of deployments or get out of underways it's like no, like there's nothing else they can do except for contact somebody outside of the fucking command to get help. Right. And, you know, I viewed it as such a weakness when like if I had taken that route, you know, I probably wouldn't be in the situation that I'm kind of dealing with today. I probably would have got help then. Right. But, you know, I didn't want to be a quitter. I didn't want to do this, which is ironic because, you know, I ended up going down a really dark path. But yeah, it, it took somebody outside of the command to help us. And years later, when I got to the coal, I don't know if you remember seeing the story on the news about the sailor that like they thought that he went overboard and died, but he was actually like hiding on the ship for a couple of weeks. Do you remember hearing about that? I don't. Uh, if I'm remembering right, the coal was the one that got suicide bombed and 2000 wasn't it correct so they okay, had, but, they had got yeah. bombed you know in 2000 and when i was on the coal there was a report about another ship where there was a sailor he had gone missing they did like man overboard they thought that he fell overboard and died and it turned out that they found him hiding on the ship and i was reading this story and they were basically like yeah you know the ceo is super you know he he's super mean he's giving all these punishments reading this and i'm like holy shit you know that sounds just like my old captain from my previous ship and i'm reading the article and turns out it is the fucking captain from the previous ship wow so it's like this dude's still in the navy as a captain of another ship so it's like you know you take the the problem that i had at the time and i'm like you know you had people killing themselves and attempting to kill themselves on the ship you have a CEO who's, you know, doing these archaic bread and water punishments and sending people to the brig and restricting them to the ship and doing all this stuff. You relieve him of his duties and then you just put him on another ship to do it again. Yeah, that's it's it's like crazy to me. So it's like if that's OK to do, but it's not OK to talk to somebody when you're having, you know, like mental, 
you know, breakdowns and problems. Like it was, it was just wild to me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I can't think of any word to describe it, but I mean, at, at the very least, I mean, that's terrifying to me. I mean, it's like recently, you know, you saw that captain that, um, you, you know, with the coronavirus, like he warned the crew about, it. he was trying to, you know, do things oh, yeah. to protect <laughs> the crew. And it's like, you relieve him of his duties. And I remember people were like up in arms about it. And I was like, I mean, I had a captain that was essentially responsible for people killing themselves and they kept him in. But then you have a captain that was trying to protect the crew and you relieve him of his duties. It's like, I, I just don't understand it. Yeah, that's that's it's that's crazy. disgusting. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, th- I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. And like I said, just to, just to hammer it home, you know, it took somebody outside of the command to recognize this, but somebody was there for you. Somebody, yeah. somebody listened to you and it got better for you. But I mean, like, like we've said a couple of times already, you know, had you, I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, you know I mean? Luckily you were strong enough to pull out of it, but you know, had you not shared that, had you not been strong enough to share that, you know, it, you know, it could have gone very badly. Absolutely. You know? So yeah, again, thank you so much for sharing that. Of course. Uh, yeah. And I mean, and that's, and that, that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to push here is like, you know, Hey, let's, let's talk it out, you know, talk with somebody. Uh, so we can move on if you're, if you're, if you're okay with it. Uh, yeah, we can move absolutely. on to the second part, you know, doesn't have to be a funny story, you know, a boot camp story, but is there something, is there some other memorable event in your Navy career? Maybe not so dark, you know, or something oh, else you sure. feel like sharing? I mean, it's funny. So this this kind of popped into my mind because, um, you know, you're an MM. I actually have a pretty funny story on my second ship. So uh, for for all the combat systems equipment, right, it's all uh, water cooled. So the MMs on a destroyer are in charge of um, basically like we own a cooling skid that cools our equipment and the MMs are in charge of supplying us with the water for our skid, if that makes sense. So, you know, we would work hand in hand with the MMs to get, you know, this uh, fresh water to our system so that we could cool our equipment. And I remember I was sitting in my space one night. This was on deployment. It was probably like 11 at night, you know? So really the only people are waker is if you're on watch, right? And I hear over the one MC on the ship, the captain, and the captain usually doesn't come over the one MC of the ship unless there's a, a, a pretty strong reason for it. Right. And the CO calls my LPO, my LCPO, my DIVO, my department head, and um, the combat systems uh, maintenance manager all down to the skid room. Okay. And I so was like... Just- yeah, like, let me let, her, let me interrupt you real quick. Uh, sure. Yeah, you th- you threw out a couple of acronyms, uh, but basically yeah. those are each one of those is a different person in your chain of command. So basically, yes. every every senior enlisted on up to officers in your chain of command, he called them down to this space. Yes, and this is okay. at eleven at night. I know I was the work center supervisor at that time, so I was like, I need to fucking get down there, right? <laughs> right. There's something if if everybody in my chain of command from my you know, the E6 in charge of me all the way up to the O3 that's in my chain of command. Like, there's something obviously going on. So we had a log of temperatures that you have to take every morning to make sure, you know, the cooling is good. And it was part of our daily maintenance check that we do. 
So I was like, you know, let me grab our log. Let me go down there. Um, my, uh, you know, the sailor under me that was on watch, I was like, you're going to come with me. Let's go check this out. Okay. So I go down there. I, I see the CO. I see the XO. The command master chief was down there and everybody in my chain of command. And I was like, fuck, like, this is not good. So I come in and my CEO goes, oh, Petty Officer Galsman, I'm so glad that you're here to join us. He's like, can I see your daily check, please? And I was like, uh, sure, sir. So he takes my binder and he's looking through it and then he throws it at me. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is going on? And he goes, um, yeah, did you guys uh, think to check the... Uh, RO, which is the thing that provides the water for our skid. And I was like, well, no, I never checked the RO. And he goes, oh, so now you're telling me that you are gun decking your maintenance, which is, you know, in the Navy, a term for you're just, you know, blowing it off, kind of just like right. purposely doing the wrong thing. Right. You're, it's, it's a, you're, you're saying on paper that you're doing something, but you're not really doing it. Exactly. So, so he says that to me and I was like, well, no, sir. And then the, the XO steps in and he goes, he goes, so now you're just going to sit here and lie to the CO and XO. I was like, sir, sir. I was like, what is going on? Like, I, I, I still don't know what's happening at this point. And he brings me over to the RO and basically the MMs who were in charge of the equipment, they had shoved a spanner wrench like into one of the, in between two of the pipes and I was like, okay. And then he pulls the spanner wrench out and water starts shooting everywhere. <laughs> so basically the, one of the MMs had shoved that in there to deal with like, I, I don't know if it was like a leak or a burst, but whatever it was, this thing was basically holding it in place. <laughs> and the CEO thought that we owned the equipment, which we don't. Right. So he's fucking screaming at me. Right. My entire chain of commands watching this, they're completely silent. The XO's yelling at me. The CMC's kind of standing there with his arms crossed. And I was like, okay. So the CO thinks I own this, which I don't. The CO also thinks it's part of my daily maintenance, which it isn't. And he's screaming at me. I was like, at this point, in the CO's eyes, I'm going to Captain's Mass, right? Right. Like I'm fucked. So I was like, if I'm going to Captain's Mass, I'm gonna give him a reason to send me to Captain's Mass. <laughs> Uh, if I was like, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down for a legit reason. So he, he's screaming at me. The EXO screaming at me. The EXO said to me, are you fucking stupid or something? And I was so I was like, fuck it. So I looked at the EXO and I said, are you fucking stupid, sir? Because you're not listening to a word that I'm saying. And everybody at that point stops talking because now I've just <laughs> called the EXO fucking stupid. Right. <laughs> so my chain of command is like terrified the xo like can't believe that i just said that the ceo can't believe i just said that i was like sir i'm trying to tell you there is nothing in my daily maintenance that tells me to check this i was like we don't even own this the mm's own this and all the while right there's still water shooting everywhere it hasn't stopped <laughs> so then he goes the mm's own this and i was like yes like you're screaming at me and all this stuff so he calls down the chief engineer, which is the officer that's in the department head for the engineers. So he comes down. He goes, uh, Chang, do you own this piece of equipment? And Chang's like, no, no, uh, the fire controlman own it. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? So then my CSMM, who was also a master chief, the, the maintenance manager, 
uh, the CEO looks at him. He goes, uh, Master Chief, do you guys own this equipment? And he goes, uh, yeah, yes, sir. Yes, we're going to take care of it. And I was like, what the fuck is going on right now? Is this like the Twilight Zone? Like, did I miss something? So now I'm getting yelled at for talking to the XO the way I did. I'm getting yelled at for lying to the CEO, all of these things. I was like, guys, I'm telling you. Like, now, and also he's like, and it's not a part of your maintenance check, which it should be. And you never submitted a revision. And this should have been changed, you know, years ago. So at this point, I'm like, okay, so now I'm going to go to Captain's Mass for yelling at the CO, the XO, and for gun decking and all of this other stuff. I was like, I'm going to get kicked out of the Navy at this point. <laughs> so, you know, they leave. He's like, fucking fix it. He whips like, you know, the spanner wrench across the room. Now my chain of command circles me like fucking sharks. And they're screaming <laughs> at me after the CO leaves. And I was like, none of you guys have my back. I was like, we don't own this fucking equipment. You basically let me just, you know, scream at the CO and XO. Like, what the fuck? So, you know, they're like, well, it's ours now. And I was like, how does that work? <laughs> and he's like, no one goes to bed until this is fixed. I was like, I don't know shit about this equipment. Like, I don't know anything about this system. And they're like, okay. And I was like, how, how were no engineers called down for this? Like, how is it that it was just me? So instead of fixing it, it's still shooting water, by the way. It hasn't stopped. Um, I looked at all my guys. I was like, nobody touched this. I was like, give me like 10 minutes. They're like, okay. So I go to the MM shop. Of course, nobody's in there. So we have, I don't know if you guys have this on like aircraft carriers and subs, but we have a book called Seasauce, which is the, it's basically like operating instructions for all of combat systems. And it has, you know, step-by-step instructions so that if, you know, Seaman Timmy really had to in a holy shit scenario could walk into a space, pick up this book and basically learn how to turn something on or off. Okay. So in the book of CSOP, this is official, right? By the Navy. The very first step when it comes to refilling the cooling skid for our equipment says, please notify MM in charge of RO <laughs> demineralizer to turn their equipment on and do this, 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 and this. So I fucking, <laughs> I show it to the master chief that's in charge of us. And I was like, uh, master chief, I'm having a hard time reading this. Could you read this line to me, please? <laughs> and he reads the line. He's like, give me that. So he takes it, goes up to the CO. Uh, now, now I hear the entire engineering chain of command being called over the one MC by the CEO. So, uh, and <laughs> CMC comes down, he goes, Hey, uh, don't worry about the, uh, RO, the, uh, MMs are going to be taking care of it. <laughs> and then the CMC is like, all right, you guys can, uh, you know, go back and do this. I was like, am I in trouble? And, uh, you know, my, uh, chief at the time, he was like, he's like, Nope, you're good. Just, uh, you know, go back to bed. Just and I was like, no, no, no. I was like, no, no. I want the CEO to come down here and fucking apologize to me. <laughs> and he's like, don't push your fucking luck. <laughs> and that's kind of like how that story ended. But uh, that right. was, a, that was a pretty good one. Yeah. So. Let's see. On, on the other side of that, like I said, I was a, I was a machinist mate in the Navy, you know, MMs. Uh, we were, nor- in my, in my command, we were normally the first ones to be called. So we always had to explain why it wasn't our equipment. Exactly. But, between us and the electricians, uh, about 99%, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, but 99% of what we owned either 
directly supported or indirectly supported a vital system. Exactly. So anytime we touch something, we had to tell somebody else. Yeah. And it, but yeah, so like that, that situation you were describing, you know, in, in my experience, I would be the first one to be called and I would have to, you know, okay, well this, this and that, you know. Yeah. And, luckily, and that was my thinking. I was like, if there's a wrench holding a pipe together, yeah. my first, <laughs> if I was walking down a P way and I saw that, my first instinct would be like, oh shit, I got to tell like the MMs about this. Exactly. And they'd probably be like, yeah, don't tell anyone. We've got that. <laughs> but like the CEO's first, you know, inclination was to call us. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is bizarre. Right. Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's a reasonable, you know, expectation that, like, okay, it's combat systems. You yeah. Know, that, that's not, that's not a gang, but you know, I mean, you know, taking a step into the serious side here, you know, once you're trying to explain that, you know, okay, this is not my system and nobody backed you up, you know, okay, that's pretty, yeah, that that's pretty shitty. ridiculous, but that was shitty. The fact, the fact that you got away with, you know, screaming at your, basically your entire chain of command is pretty, pretty humorous. <laughs> yeah. There, there were two scenarios in my entire naval career where I screamed at somebody at a significantly higher level than me and got away with it. That was one of those times. Right. And I mean, me, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll share real quick, you know, I never really, I never really got into it with any of my chain of command, but uh, when I was on shore duty, one of the secondary things we had to do, we had to occasionally stand security watch mm -hmm. when there was a, a visiting vessel coming in. And uh, anytime there was not a foreign vessel in, the Coast Guard owned that pier. But when there okay. was a naval when when there was a naval vessel in, the Navy owned the pier. Okay, makes sense. But uh, you know what? I mean, sure, I'm sure you remember, you know, your general orders. But one of your orders was, you know. You'll receive your orders and you will only obey the orders of, you know, the, the people in your chain of command. Yep. And one of the things they told me, they said, OK, well, you know, you're going to be the gate guard. Do not let more than five vehicles on the pier. OK. Like, All right. OK, got that. And you know, here, here I am, a, a junior E6. I had just put on my E6 and uh, but I'm standing there at the gate. So at this point, you know, realistically, I physically own the pier. I decide who gets to come on and off. But. You know, again, the Coast Guard is there. They've got a couple of their small, their small ships, small boats down there. And one of their cooks tries to come on the pier. And like, I can't let you on the pier. And I, but I even try to phrase it. I was like, okay, if you tell me that you're <laughs> going to drive down there and drive off, I'll let you on. He's like, well, I'm not going to do that. I was like, okay, listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> if you tell me that you're going to drop your stuff off and drive off the pier, I'll let you on. But I, there's. There's already too many vehicles on the pier. I cannot let you on. Well, no, I can't do that. I'm going to park down there. I was like, okay, then I can't help you. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to tell him, you know, okay, you know, we're going to pretend, but you know, he was not understanding what I was saying. So about 10 minutes later, the CEO of one of the, one of the boats down there, and uh, he ended up being like a, an O2 in the Coast Guard. So he was a Lieutenant junior grade. Yep. You know, he calls me on my guard phone and he's like, why didn't you let my guy on? And I explained it as best I could. He's like, you will let my guy on. Like, no, I'm not. He's like, no, you're not understanding me. He's like, you're not understanding me. You are not in my chain of command. Yeah. No, but I own that. And I was like, sir, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> He's like, you will. I was like, okay, sir, you need to call security because my orders were five vehicles on the pier. He would be the sixth. He's not getting on the pier. And I hung up the phone. 
about three minutes later, the pure supervisor, the security supervisor, he comes up to me laughing. He's like, let the Coast Guard on. <laughs> I was like, okay, so just so we're clear, your orders were not to let more than five vehicles. Like, yep. I was like, so we're, we're clear on that. This is not anything. I was following orders. Like, yep. Yep. I was like, so the fact that, you know, that, that Lieutenant JG, you know, he, he can go pound sand, right? He's like, yep, you're, you're clear, but let the Coast Guard on. <laughs> so like, okay. Roger that. Gotta love it. So yeah, I mean that was that was as far as yelling at my chain of command, that was the highlight of my career. <laughs> it's got it, it's such a good feeling when you can get away with it. It, it really like if you if you're in the right, it it really is. It's a righteous feeling. And that's my whole thing. I'm a very stubborn person. I mean, I'm I'm pretty loud and obnoxious when I need to be. You know, I'm from Boston. Like I get I get pretty rowdy. And like my whole thing is, I was like, if I'm right regardless of who this person is, like regardless of their rank, like I'm going to fucking get away with being right. Right. <laughs> so, again, th- you know, glad we're able to step into the humorous side a little bit. And of course, again, the se- the second part of this was, you know, saving this in, the, in, you know, our veterans own voices, you know, and you have your own podcast, which now is the time in the podcast. I'm going to turn it over to you. You know, is there anything you want to plug, you know, talk about your podcast for a moment? Sure. You know, so the podcast is called once upon a boot. Uh, you know, it's kind of a play on words. You know, my whole premise was kind of like you said, you know, the people in the military have, you know, the best stories that you'll never hear. And, you know, in the military, you know, you're called the boot, you know, right when you get out of boot camp. And then, you know, by that point, you think you're, you know, hot shit, you're in the Navy or the Marines or whatever it is. And then you realize that you really don't know anything and you get, you know, kind of your whole career ends up being that way. And you get all these great stories and, you know, that's just what my podcast is. I wanted to put, you know, a humorous spin on people's everyday stories. And, you know, there's a lot of podcasts that deal with, you know, like depressing type stuff. I'm, I wanted mine to be like, you know, as lighthearted as possible while also still touching on, you know, the important things. So, right. And so, again, that was Once Upon a Boot. Uh, was there any specific uh, platform you're on? Or I mean, where, major ones? anywhere you probably listen to this, you know, we're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you know, all the major ones. Uh, you know, we've got social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, find us wherever. Okay, so is it Once Upon a, Once Upon a Boot on Facebook and all that? Or? Yep, all that. Once Upon a Boot, okay. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the same. So, All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Derek. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. And I know I said it already, but I'm going to say it again. I mean, I'm not a very religious person, but I do thank God that I'm I'm getting to sit here and talk to you and listen and share with you right now. It really it really means something to me. I'm so glad you you know you made it through that. And you know, hopefully hopefully we're going to reach somebody. Hopefully this message will reach somebody and know that there is hope. There is somebody listening. I hope so, man. It was good talking to you as well. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, I'll, I'll, anything else did you want to say? I'll give you the last word here, sir. I'm good, man. Just uh, you know, check out both podcasts, and I hope you guys enjoy them. All right, thank you so much, Derek. You have a good day, sir. You too, man. All right, bye. Bye. And before I wrap it up, I want to make sure I give you some contact information. If you need somebody to talk to, and you're experiencing a mental health emergency please contact 1-800-273-8255, press option 1. That is the number for the Veterans Crisis Line. You can also text them at 838-255. Again, the number for the Veterans Crisis Line, 1-800-273-8255, press 1, or text at 838-255.
I've made it very clear in the past, I am not a, vet, a crisis counselor, not a counselor in any way. I'm just a person that wants to talk to you. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can reach out at never alone, never forgotten, all one word at yahoo.com. Or you can reach out to me at the Facebook page. It's the same name as the podcast, Voices of America's Veterans. I'm pr- not much to look at there, but I am building it up. It is a work in progress. But again, you can post there, reach out through there, message me. Uh, we'll get back to you. So again, if you just want to reach out and talk, if you want somebody to listen to you, or you want to be on the podcast, let me know, and I will get back to you. Until then, take it easy, be safe.